Um, <laughs> so, so let me ask you, were you listening to the words of that song, and do you believe the words of that song? It says, though the battle rages, we'll stand in the fight. Though armies rise up against us on all sides, we will not be shaken. Believe that? We trust in our God, and through His unfailing love, we will not be shaken. For in the hour of our darkest day, we will not tremble, we won't be afraid. Hope is rising like the light of dawn. Our God is for us. He can overcome. All those against Him, do you believe this? All those against Him will fall. For our God is stronger. He can do all things. No higher name we can call for Jesus is greater. We can do all things. Do you buy into that? Do you believe that? You know, because really in the society and the culture we live in today, there is uh, definitely a, a tension. And I would say that in, in many ways, uh, our society and culture is at odds or are opposed to Jesus Christ and the message that we have. And it can be intimidating to stand up for Christ, really. In, in today's culture, it can be a little bit intimidating for us to stand up. Uh, you know, in, in many ways, that tension or that opposition to the message of Christ, it's very subtle. And it's kind of under the radar. And in some countries, it's really overt. In, in ours, it might be a little more under the radar. And, and even in our country, I would say some of the opposition or tension or... Um, resistance to the message of Jesus Christ is very bold and direct, I would say. And so today what we're going to, and regardless of that tension, we've been given a mission, and that is to make Jesus Christ known. He didn't say, hey, when it's all going smooth, when it's all going easy, I want you to spread my name, I want you to let people know about me. If there's any kind of resistance, or though the armies may rise up against you, that's when I want you to go run and hide, and I don't want you to have to say anything but I want you to stand up for me and make my name known even in that kind of a situation. And that's what we're going to see today. We're continuing on in the book of Acts. And what we're going to see is in the early church, right off the bat, there is this major tension and opposition against the church and, and primarily the apostles. And we see that these apostles end up taking a stand and continuing to be witnesses for Jesus Christ. And so as we look at this, it's really helpful for us to see, you know, one, it gives us hope to go, hey, this whole thing that's going on in our world, it's not new. It's been going on for thousands of years. And really, God gave power to his children to stand up, even amidst that pressure. And he'll give that power to us, too. We still have been given a mission to make Christ known. It's been a few weeks since we've been in Acts, so I just want to give a little reminder. We're going to be in chapter 5 today, but kind of here's kind of a, if you haven't been with us or if you're, um, you know, you've already forgotten, it's, it's easy week after week to, it, it, it slips away from us so quick. It's one of the enemy's tricks. But if you remember, what we talked about is you had the book of Luke, the gospel of Luke, and Acts is the sequel to that. So in Luke, we have Christ's birth and uh, his life, his ministry, his death, his resurrection. And then Acts, the book of Acts, picks up right when Christ is resurrected. He's with his apostles, and he's, he's in resurrected form. And, and we, we kind of get 
we just say that like it's nothing like Christ who's resurrected, who's raised from the dead. When we're talking about these guys are hanging out with Christ who is raised from the dead. I mean, he's still raised from the dead. Christ is alive and well right now. He's raised from the dead. And so they're talking, Christ is talking, and he says, hey, I want you guys to go be my witnesses in Jerusalem, where they are, Judea, Samaria, and the utmost parts of the earth. But don't go until the Holy Spirit arrives in power. And so the Holy Spirit arrives in power. We know that they're able to speak the message in, in these uh, languages of other people so other people can hear the message of Christ. Uh, the people or individuals are given the Holy Spirit, which the Holy Spirit is eternal. He's been around forever. But all of a sudden, people, individuals are having the Holy Spirit. And so uh, 3,000 souls saved. These Jews, former Jews, if you want to say that, they're still Jews, but they're, they're converted to belief in Jesus Christ. They thought Jesus Christ was either a lunatic, they thought he was a fraud, they thought he was a false prophet, they thought a lot of different things about him, but all of a sudden they had the reality of Jesus Christ click for them, and they said, no, he's more than that. And they, they changed who they, what they believed about Jesus Christ, and that's what caused them to be converted. That's what causes all of us to be converted. Jesus, instead of becoming just uh, some guy or a great teacher or a prophet, People are converted when they realize Jesus Christ is their Savior and Jesus Christ saves them. That's when we begin to experience conversion or that's when we experience conversion as we believe and put our trust in Him as our Savior instead of just a cool guy that wore togas and had a lot of nice uh, messages. And we say, you know what? I'm changing my opinion about who Christ is. And that's what they did. They repented. Jews repented of what they believed and they started believing on Christ for salvation. So about 3,000 are added. And the church is going gangbusters, uh, 3,000 in one day. And all of a sudden, they're, they're hanging out together. They're sharing meals together. They're listening to the disciples' teachings. They're selling their property and giving it to each other, to the people that needed things. They're, uh, people are, are they're kind of on display, and people are going, what is going on with this group of people? And then even so much so that they're going, where do they teach? They're teaching in the Jewish temple. They're teaching in the temple courts. They're going back to the Jews and saying, hey, we want you guys to know, because these guys are Jews. The 12 apostles are Jews, and they're going back and teaching their own people and saying, hey, we had it all wrong. You guys had it all wrong about Christ. Here's who Christ is. So they're teaching in the temple. As they teach in the temple, what happens is uh, it, the, these crowds of people are gathering, and the, a man who's been brought there for 40 years, never been able to walk, is healed. And it says, this caused a stir. People, people were uh, blown away, amazed, and it's kind of had a, it was like a two-edged sword. On one hand, another 2,000 people joined the church that day. On the other hand, the apostles ended up getting arrested because the, Ju the Jewish leaders there did not like what was happening, didn't like this other message being preached about the Christ, because they're the ones that actually got Christ to end up being crucified. And so what ends up happening is uh, they're arrested, they're released, the church continues to grow, people continue to sell property and give it to others, and then we have this, which is kind of where we left off uh, last time we were in Acts. Then we have this couple, this, this guy Barnabas sells his stuff and gives it away and says, you know, hey, 
use the proceeds however you see fit, spread the money around. Then you have this other couple, Ananias and Sapphira, who show up, and they say that they're giving all their money, but they don't really give all their money. They're kind of doing the old, uh, they want to look really holy, but they're kind of doing something less holy. And so they drop dead on the spot, essentially, is what happens, is they drop dead on the spot. And and praise God, he's not operating that way uh, right now and today, because we'd all probably be dropped dead on the spot. But... So for their hypocritical behavior, lying to the Holy Spirit, drop dead on the spot. And so that's kind of where we left off. And you can see that the Holy Spirit's moving in a big and powerful way. So we kind of caught up. You feel like we're caught up? So we're going to go from there. I'm going to pray. And then we're going to, uh, we're going to go through this passage. We're covering over 30 verses today. And so what I want to do is I want to just kind of talk through the verses a little bit. And then we'll come back and we'll make uh, some more of the clear application for us. But I kind of want to help explain some of the details in the passages we go through the first pass. And then we'll come back and talk about personal applications. All right, if you would join with me one more time, let's pray and then we'll look at the scripture. Father, we come before you. We thank you for your son. We thank you for the life that we have in him. I pray that as we do go through these scriptures, that you would work in our heart, that you would build us up. Give us boldness, God, and we thank you for your Son who does save us from our sins. We thank you that you are stronger, you're more powerful than any enemy we might have, any person against us. We thank you for the life that we have because of your Son, and we pray these things in his name. Amen. All right, so I titled this uh, message, The Apparent Power Struggle, and so you're going to see this in the, in the passage, you're going to see this tension going on. in in these verses. So bear with me. I'm going to read a little and explain a little as we go. The apostles were performing many miraculous signs and wonders among the people, and all the believers were meeting regularly at the temple in the area known as Solomon's Colonnade. But no one else dared to join them, even though all the people had high regard for them. Yet more and more people believed and were brought to the Lord, crowds of both men and women. And so one of the things, we see these miraculous signs going on, these healings, these different things that are happening. I just want to kind of explain something on the onset. A lot of people will use these passages and they will say, so why are we not having these healings today? Or other people will say, that should be what's regularly happening in the church. Or some, even I believe a lot of counterfeit miracle workers are working. And the reason that that it happens like this is God is wanting to endorse these men. He's wanting to endorse these apostles and say, these guys, listen to what they say, because they're giving a totally different message than you're used to hearing. I want you to know this message is from me. And here's how I'm going to let you know that this message is from me. I'm going to do some amazing things. People are going to be speaking languages they didn't know. People are going to be dropping dead when they sin. Uh, People are going to have this intense love for one another and be selling property. I'm going to be doing some really intense things part of which includes some miracles. And so it's important for us to realize that. He did that with Moses, right? You you read the Bible. That's not typically happening all through the Bible. You see it in these big uh, events like Moses, his his staff turns to a serpent because he's wanting the people to know, hey, you can follow this dude. This guy is, he's of me. Uh, You know, the the manna from heaven, the pillar of, of fire and smoke, he does these things to say, hey, I'm in this. This is, uh, 
you know, you can trust this movement that's happening. He did it with the prophets too, right? Elisha, I mean, Elisha brought back a, a, a young boy from being dead and, and many other of these miraculous things. It's the same thing that's happening here in Acts. And so if we say, why isn't that happening now? Well, it's, he's already put his stamp of approval on this message about Jesus Christ. And so that's what's happening. And then you have these other people. It says no one else dared to join them. So you have these people who are kind of hanging out, these Jews that are probably going like, uh, yeah, remember those people that dropped dead for just not giving all the stuff and being real honest? <laughs> I'm out. Like, I don't want to be in on this deal. Don't. You, know, you can see why people might not want to do that. And uh, you know how you guys got arrested by the temple guards there a few weeks ago? Yeah, we're, we're going to hang back here and kind of just see what happens with this whole thing. But at the very same time, there are many who were men and women join the church. So you have, and, and this is very often what the message of Christ does, it kind of divides people into one or two camps. Like we have to kind of eventually make a choice and say, yeah, we buy into this Christ thing. We buy into the person of Christ and the truth of who he is or no, not so much. And we're just going to hang back a little bit. And so that's kind of what's going on here. Um, it says, as a result of the apostles' work, Sick people were brought out into the streets on beds and mats so that Peter's shadow might fall across some of them as he went by. Crowds came from villages around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those possessed by evil spirits, and they were all healed. And so what he's, what Peter's shadow doesn't, isn't necessarily healing people here. You, maybe it was, I don't but the text is not exactly saying that. What I believe happened is God's working through these men, and there were some superstitions that talked about if a good man's shadow hit you, you would have good fortune. If a bad man's shadow hit you, you would have curses. And so I think these people were kind of living the superstitious life and going like, hey, let's wheel them out there. Maybe if the shadow comes onto them, they'll be healed. But there's this definite stir that's happening among these people. <coughs> and regardless, we can see these, there are people being healed. There are people being cleansed of evil spirits. And we hear evil spirits, and I typically think of uh, demons uh, de being demon-possessed, which is a, a real thing. But I think it could also include things like being healed of a mental illness or maybe someone who's suffered with depression for their whole life, all of a sudden being freed from a depression or something like that. So they're all healed. You would think... The officials there in the temple would be like, awesome, man. Let's see if we can book these guys for the next three weeks, right? Not so much. <clears throat> the high priest and his officials, who were Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in public jail. I want to get to this angel of the Lord in a minute. So I want to kind of explain some categories of people. We've talked about it before. But you're going to end up seeing, here we see the, the chief priest or the, the high priest you have the, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the Sanhedrin or the council. We kind of just lump usually all those together, and they are kind of lumped together in one sense. They're the Jewish leaders. Let me try and explain a little bit of, of the differences, and it's to, to make a point. So the high priest is the, the one who would be kind of the we would probably see him as our, like our chief justice or, or kind of the head of the um, Supreme Court. 
and the Sanhedrin would be what we would consider like the Supreme Court, the high court of the land, and it's, it was usually made up of 20 to 70 men or individuals. And so you have this high priest, and he's kind of the, the main guy on that end. He's over the other priest. And then you have the Sanhedrin, which is basically that court system, the kind of the council, they would call them, and they would bring together these guys. So when the apostles are standing before, they're probably standing before like 70 different guys, uh, uh, religious leaders. And then you have these Sadducees and Pharisees. Now, in uh, prior to this happening, there was a period of time, a couple years before Christ, where there was the, the period of the Maccabees, we would say. And what it is, it's this group of Jews they're trying to, it's basically from the roots of Alexander the Great, uh, Hellenized or Greekicized everything. You know, he's like, we're going to make everything Greek. And so that included they trying to come in and overtake the Jews and try to Greekify the Jews. Hellenize is the fancy word for it. Tries to Greekify these Jews. And so what ends up happening is, these groups end up growing, and one is this kind of a political group, the Sadducees. They don't believe in the resurrection. They don't believe in supernatural things, and what ends up happening is they are kind of like a, the progressives going, yeah, let's, let's kind of be a little Greekified and get along with the, the governing officials, and then that's be a way to fast-track our Jewish religion. And then they have these Pharisees, there are more the conservatives and going, we need to play by the rules and we need to do things the way we've always done them. We need to follow the religious laws. Plus, uh, put a fence around the religious laws and really watch some. I'm having some throat issues. Hang on a second. I just realized we got some water down here. I got one in. <laughs> I always have a cough drop, but. All right. Sorry about that. Totally distracted from the... Okay. This is, this is... It's helpful for us to see. So you have these... Basically, the Sadducees would be what we'd call like progressives, left-wing, liberal. You might use those kind of phrases as a parallel. You have the Pharisees who would be like the conservative, right-wing. It's not our political system, but it's kind of like that would be a comparison for us. And what you see here, and why I'm making this big, long point, because we usually lump them together, is these people with two totally opposing views. They don't always get along so well. But what they've done is they're coming together, and they're working together against Jesus Christ and working against the apostles. So that's what we end up seeing. And as we look at our world system, you can begin to see some of the parallels where it doesn't matter if it's this side or this side. There's a general tension against the message of Christ. So it says, um, they were filled with jealousy. The Sadducees were filled with je jealousy. They arrested the apostles, put them in the public jail. So they got arrested again. But an angel of the Lord came at night, opened the gates of the jail, and brought them out. Then he told them, what did he tell them, go home and hide? Go to the temple and give the people this message of life. He's, they've got a message of life. He doesn't want them to go hide and not talk about it. So 
At daybreak they entered the temple, as they were told, and immediately began teaching. Then the high priest and his officials arrived. They convened the high council. These are the groups we were just talking about. The full assembly of the elders of Israel. Then they sent for the apostles to be brought from the jail for their trial. But when the temple guards, that's like the temple cops, uh, went to the jail, the men were gone. So they returned to the council and reported the jail was securely locked with the guards standing outside, but when we opened the gates, no one was there. It's kind of comical, really. You know, they're like, go get the prisoners. And then they go to get the prisoners. Like, yeah, yeah well, the prisoners weren't really there. And when the cap captain of the temple guard, kind of like the chief of police, and the leading priests heard this, they were perplexed, wondering where it would all end. And someone arrived with startling news. The men you put in jail are standing in the temple teaching the people. Boy, you know this just had to fry these guys. The captain went with his temple guards and arrested the apostles, but without violence, for they were afraid the people would stone them. So they've kind of, they have won over some of the public here. Then they brought the apostles before the high council, where the high priest confronted them. We gave you strict orders never again to teach in this man's name. What man are they talking about? couple things on this. One, I think they just don't want to say the name. But two, do you remember what happened? They said, this man was healed, that lame man. This man was healed by the name or in the name of Jesus Christ. I'm almost thinking like maybe they were a little wondering like, let's not say the name because last time this whole name thing was happening, a crippled guy that had been crippled forever started walking, so we better not even mention the name thing. You know, uh, this, this, guy, this name that you've been preaching in, uh, instead, you have filled all Jerusalem with your teaching about him, and you want to make us responsible for his death. Were they responsible for his death? Yeah, they were. They had conspired together again previously to have him, have the Romans execute him. So they could kind of go like, we didn't do it, the Romans did it. But Peter and the apostles replied, so here's their response, we must obey God rather than any human authority. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead after you killed him by hanging him on a cross. And God put him in the place of honor at his right hand as prince and savior. He did this so the people of Israel would repent of their sins and be forgiven. We are witnesses of these things and so is the Holy Spirit who is given by God to those who obey him. When we're in church and we use the word witness, we have this kind of idea of being witnesses that go around door to door talking about. And really, the, the idea originally would be, the word actually comes from martyr. It's where we get our word martyr from. It's those that actually suffered. But it was a literal witness. When we say witness outside a church, we think of a courtroom, right? Someone who saw something happen, someone with a firsthand account. That's what they were. They had firsthand experienced Jesus Christ. They said when they heard this, the high council was furious and decided to kill them. Isn't this nuts? I mean, what have they done? They're, they're seeing people healed, but they, they're getting, yeah, they, it, it's a power struggle, right? You see why I said apparent power struggle here? But one member, a Pharisee, so we had the Sadducees, now you see this Pharisee named Gamaliel. Some of you know that that was actually one of Paul's instructors, the Apostle Paul's who was an expert in religious law and respected by all the people, stood up and ordered that the men be sent outside the council chamber for a while 
Then he said to his colleagues, Men of Israel, take care what you are planning to do to these men. What are they planning to do to the men? Mm -hmm. <coughs> and then he gives an example. Some time ago there was a fellow, Thetis, who pretended to be someone great. About 400 others joined him, but he was killed, and all his followers went their various ways. The whole movement came to nothing. After him, at the time of the census, there was Judas of Galilee. He got people to follow him, but he was killed too, and all his followers were scattered. My advice is, this is what Gamaliel is telling the council, leave these men alone, let them go. If they're planning and doing these things merely on their own, they will soon be overthrown. But if it is from God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You may even find yourselves fighting against God. The others accepted his advice. They called in the apostles and had them flogged. Then they ordered them never again to speak the name of Jesus and let them go. That's the close of the chapter, right? So they never spoke the name of Jesus again. No. The apostles left the council rejoicing that God had counted them worthy to suffer. So this is a real in-your-face verses right here, right? It's like, yeah, you whipped us, but we left skipping and, and singing. So, you know, rejoicing that God had counted them worthy to suffer disgrace in the name of Jesus. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they continued to teach and preach this message. Jesus is the Messiah, or he's the Savior, or he's the, the Deliverer is the idea there. So I know that took some time to explain, but I think it, it helps to sometimes go through it and make it a little bit more real and connected. And so with the, just a little bit of time left, I want to kind of hit on three main points. And that is this, that the pressure is real, God's power is greater, and we have a choice to make. Okay? The pressure is real, God's power is greater, and we have a choice to make. And you can see that kind of in the passage. So, for us, we talked about at the beginning about the reality that we're living in a society, we live in a culture where there is a real tension against Christ. It's not as overt as it is in some nations, in some places. It's not as overt as it has been in uh, different times of history. But there is a very real pressure and a very real tension to be a Christ follower or to be a witness for Jesus Christ. So a couple points on this is we need to realize that the opposition that we feel often comes from apparent authority. And it's apparent authority. And let me just quickly go through. The opposition we face as believers comes from places like the scientific community. They claim to hold the authority and that the things or uh, you know, certain historians or Hollywood or social media, or government, or the public school system. I'm not saying I'm against any one of those things. I love science. I love, I love these things. I love history. I love all of those things. But what happens is there's often from those places is where there begins to be this, uh, I would say, a manipulation or you can begin to feel the tension that goes towards the things of God. Am, am I right? Can you see that? Whether it's Science that then ends up in our public schools, science that ends up in our public schools and begins to kind of mix some really good, true science stuff with just some theories and try and sell that off, pawn that off as lock solid fact when there's really no 
scientific method involved with any of it, so it wouldn't really be considered science, it would be considered a theory or an uh, idea. When you look at what happens in, in Hollywood and the way that we're, uh, maybe even Christians are, are portrayed, is Hollywood powerful and a seeming authority? Yeah. And so it, it's important for us to understand that a lot of the opposition, and so part of what my, my hope in this message is that we would be filled, one, with confidence, and that we wouldn't think, oh, what's wrong with us? Oh, maybe it, this is normal. This has been going on. So we can just, uh, even if you go all the way back to the book of uh, Daniel, as Dakota was teaching at the men's retreat, you know, you think about the reality. They brought them in, and Babylon does what? Tries to change their name, tries to get them to bow down to false gods, tries to get them to do all these things, become different people. And so that's the idea here. There's this authority but who's really the true authority? Us. Yeah. So opposition often uses tactics of intimidation, right? And so when I'm talking about opposition here, I'm talking about a spiritual opposition to the message of Christ. And for us, it might be you're going to lose your reputation. You're going to be one of those Christian bigots, right? Are Christians bigots? Yeah, some of them really are. Uh, intolerant Christians. Are there some intolerant Christians? Yeah, there are. There might be a few intolerant Christians in this room. But there's intolerant people all over. But they begin to intimidate. So if you claim the name of Christ, all of a sudden you're intolerant and you hate gays. You may not, you just may say, I, I believe that that's a sin. I don't, but you may not hate them at all. You may have a genuine, true love and have a great relationship with people that are homosexual or whatever the thing might be. But there begins to be this intimidation factor to where you begin to, some people, you know, if you're going to follow Christ, you may lose friends or family. We don't really want to hang out with you. You're boring. You're not partying the way we like to party. You make us feel guilty when you're around because you won't partake in what we're partaking in. And so there begins to be this intimidation factor. If you're teaching in a school, you can't say this or you can't say that. I mean, even we've seen businesses begin to be shut down or even by our, our own government that would legislate or... or decide cases in favor that are when Christians are following their beliefs. Do you see what I'm saying? So we begin to see it comes from some authority, some places of authority, and they can begin to use intimidation. Oh, really? And there are threats even that in, in uh, you know, if pastors begin to speak against certain sins, that churches could be fined for hate crimes when we're teaching what God's Word says. And you guys know me. I'm not, I don't want to malign any person. But we want to call sin what God's Word calls sin, right? So they'll use tactics of intimidation. You may feel this. You may feel like, I'm going to be the nerd at the office. I'm going to be the dork. I'm going to be the, the goofball, the Bible thumper. But it may be mild or it may be severe. Legal ramifications or it just may be I'm the one that doesn't get asked to lunch. But there's some kind of maybe intimidation. Opposition often wants us to conform. That's what the world is really wanting to do. It's the world, we know that from Romans 12 too. The, the world is trying to press us into its mold. Um, I think part of that is because if we just conform, and again, I don't want this to be a we versus them thing at all. But I do think we need to see a distinction. We are to be in the world, but not of the world. 
and we are to be loving everybody in the world. That's, that's how we're to be. We're not to be holier than thou, a bunch of snobby, self-righteous people either. We're just supposed to love one another. But sometimes I think what happens is the systems of the world want us to conform because if we conform, they don't have to feel quite so crummy about the stuff that's going on. In other words, they don't have to realize like there is a God and we need to answer to that God and we need to contemplate those things and we need to really think deeply about the things of God. But the, they would want us to conform. And I would just say this as Christians, I think this is one of the biggest tri tricks for us is we very often now are trying to look like the world. We want to have Christian music that kind of seems like the world music. We make t-shirts that look kind of like the logos of the other t-shirts. And I'm not saying we should wear geeky, dorky, Christian-y uh, clown clothes. I'm not saying that just for the sake of being different. That's stupid. But I'm saying we also shouldn't be trying to go like, oh, yeah, I want to be like you. And, you know, it says uh, even as Evie's getting older, I'm trying to teach her, like, just be yourself. Everything that everybody else is doing is not that cool. Like, it's, it's not that cool to just try and be like everybody else. Just be yourself. Do what, you, what you're going to do. We as Christians don't need to be trying to be conformed or squeezed into the mold of the world, even though there's a lot of pressure for us. So do you guys feel these pressures? Can you see them in our society, in the things we watch, in the things we hear, in the things that are legislated, in the conversations, or whether it's in a university or a workplace or whatever it is? It, it's not just me, right? I'm not just like Mr. Nerdy living a little bubble pastor guy. Like this is kind of stuff that happens in real life. The off opposition often inflicts harm. As I said, you know, there's things from legal ramifications and in, in some instances, and especially in other countries and in the past, uh, there have been f physical harm put on people. These apostles saw it. So all these things are true of what we just saw from the council there in Jerusalem. And all these things are very true in the world today. That you may suffer harm. You may lose a job. You may be the dork that's kind of on the outside of everything. That's probably not even popular lingo anymore. That's probably 80s lingo saying uh, dork. But you know what I'm saying? You're the clown. You're the buffoon. You're the goofball. Whatever that's kind of like, oh, uh, yeah, this guy's weird. That, that may be. You, your, your reputation may be harmed. And the opposition, it's important for us to remember, is ultimately against God, not against us. That's what he, didn't that what he said? He said, if you guys are fighting against God, you're not going to win. Like, just let it go. And what did Paul say? The Apostle Paul, what did Christ say to Paul? When he was Saul, he's going down. He's been murdering and doing all these things. And he said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Was Saul persecuting Christ? He was persecuting Christians. So we need to realize that when Saul is persecuting Christians, really... His fight wasn't against so much the Christians as it was against Christ. As the world is against us, it's not so much against us as it is against Christ. And I say this because it should give us confidence when we think about that to think this really isn't all about me. This is to be expected. I, I, I need to realize like I can handle this with some confidence knowing it's not just because I'm just the, the world's biggest loser. 
It's not because I'm taking a stand on something. Now, let me clarify that. If you're disliked at your job because you're a jerk, this doesn't, that's, this isn't your excuse. Like, oh, they're just against God. No, they're against you for being a jerk is what they're against. Like, let them be against you for being a jerk. So we don't just get to sweep it under the rug. Like, everybody hates me for God, you know. And, well, no, everybody hates you because you have a bad attitude and you're hard to be around. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about when it is legitimately a, a pressure that we have to, uh, a pressure we need to, from the world against the message of Jesus Christ, we need to remember, hey, this isn't so much about me. It wasn't so much about Paul. It wasn't so much about Peter. It wasn't so much about these others. As these people, this group of people is fighting against God. They're not necessarily fighting against me. I don't have to take this all so personal. And sometimes that can, can help us a little bit. So the next big point is God's power is greater. I'm going to move quickly through these. But isn't that really loud in the passage? One, we see that God's power is with the church. We've seen it all through the book of Acts. His hand is on the church. And when I say the church, I don't mean this church building. I don't mean the Roman Catholic church. I don't mean the church. The church is the people of God. And God's hand is on his people. And we can see that, uh, that God... You know, even, even it says in Romans 8, it talks about even if we are... Let me just read that really quick. Actually, I may have it. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? This is a Christian. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sakes we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Does it end there? No. Yet, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now let me tell you, is God's hand on the church? <coughs> Even if you're being, whose power is greater? To me, it sounds like the sword's power is not greater than God's power. Here, God's power God's love, Jesus Christ's love for us, is greater than the sword. And so we need to remember that God's power is with the church. Is with When I say the church, is with God's people. God's power is greater than our infirmities. He's healing people. They're in, uh, God is healing the sick, the infirmed, those who had uh, these spirits. And, and we need to remember that, that our God is greater than our infirmity. He's greater than our wounds. He's greater than our brokenness. And that's who our God is. Our God, he, you know, he still, I, st I believe he still does physically heal people. I, I know he does. We see it happen. I don't think that's the primary way he's working today, but I know he does do that. I think even the way he naturally set up the body to work is a miracle healing in and of itself. But he, without a doubt, and even people in this room, if you have not experienced a physical healing and, and, and been uh, crippled and then been given strength back, there are people in here who have been healed of past abuse that's happened to them. And they're healed and they're healthy. There are people in here that have been healed of their own addictions and given victory over addictions. There are people here who have been healed, had marriages that were torn apart or relationships with kids that were torn apart, whether it was their fault or your fault. We've all experienced the healing. 
Our God is God. Our God, His power is greater than our affirmities, our wounds, our brokenness. That's good news. As we said earlier, our God is greater, isn't He? God's whoa. God's power is greater than our sin. I love in this picture as we continue to see. What do you have here? Peter preaching to this group, and he's basically telling them, yeah, you guys are the ones that crucified Christ, but there's forgiveness for you. That's a good message, isn't it? Even this group that finagled uh, and worked to get Christ crucified, Peter preaches to them forgiveness of sins and eternal life. That's awesome news. And so if, if Peter can say, God forgives you for manipulating things into where Christ gets crucified, do you think he can forgive you for what you've done? Yeah, he's greater than our sin. God's forgiveness, he gives us eternal life, he can wash our slate clean, he can make us new, give us new life, he's greater than our sin, he can conquer our addictions, he's greater. God's power is greater than those against us. I love that last little scene of the, of the chapter there where they even get beat and they're rejoicing. To me, that shows God's power is greater. They can physically beat them. And even as we just read about these uh, from Romans 8, even though you know, we're getting led like sheep to a slaughter sometimes, when we can say our God is bigger than those who are against us. His love is bigger. His power is bigger. If he wants to, he could bring angels to release the doors of the prisons that we get put in, which in many ways he does, by the way. And the last point is we, so with this in mind, and so let me just kind of take a step back. There's a real pressure against the message of Christ. Let's just be real about it. Let's not be hyper dramatic about it because we have it pretty darn easy in our country. But there is a pressure. There is a tension there. We all live with that tension. And we could look at it, it comes through the government, it comes through these ways, it comes through Hollywood, it comes through, it's just in the world, it's just, it's out there, right? But you look at who God is, and who the real authority is, and who really has power, power over sin, power over sickness, power over those against us, that his hand is on the church, you kind of have a choice to make. Where am I going to align myself here? Where am I going to... We need to remember that we have the Holy Spirit. Am I going to surrender to the Holy Spirit that's in me? And Romans 8 talks about this too. Or am I going to, Romans 6 and Romans 8, or am I going to align myself with the world and the ways of the world? So we have a choice. And what did, how did they say it in the book, in the um, Acts? He's, he said, we don't obey you, we obey God. Right? Remember, they went back out and started preaching. So we have a choice to make. What are we going to do? Who are, are we going to let ourselves be conformed? Another thing we need to remember is that we have the message of life. These guys had a message of life to give, and they brought that message right back to the temple, and they were giving the message to those that were against them. You know who needs the message of Christ? The world that we feel this pressure from. They need the message of Christ. They need love. You know what? One of the best ways we can display the message of Christ? By the love that we have for one another. That's what was turning heads in Acts chapter 2. The love that we have for one another. That we would be willing to, even those who cause us harm, to come back and give them a message of hope. 
And I think one of the biggest is that we would live the life of Jesus Christ, that life would come out of us. Not a bunch of finger-wagging rules like, I can't believe you did that. You did what? Did you know so-and-so's? Oh, my goodness. No. Life, love, forgiveness, kindness, grace, patience. Those kind of things are a message of life to a dying world. And the reality is that we have the responsibility to bring, and we've been given a mission, really. We've been given a mission that we are to be bringing the message of life to a dying world. If you saw someone dying on the side of the road, do you pass them by? Even if they were somebody that flipped you off earlier, some of you are like, yeah, you pass them by. You spit out the window if you have to, right? So we, I know some of our guys, and so some, sometimes I think myself. But the reality is, not, in, not, not really, right? We want to provide life to the, to the people that are dying, and they're all around us. And we've been given a message of hope. And these Jews that were even against them, they need a message of hope. And that's what the apostles, they kept going right back into the temple, right into that area of tension and preaching and giving the message of Jesus Christ. And so as we look at that, we need to realize that we have a choice to make. And so, again, uh, as we talk about this, you know, who are you, who are you going to live for? My desire, and, and I know I went long, we covered a lot of verses today, I know it went long, but I, I want to say this. Uh, in closing, my desire is that you would be filled up with hope. One, realizing this tension, it's not all in my head. Like this is a real biblical thing that happens. So I don't have to feel like some kind of circus sideshow because I feel this tension for wanting to live for Jesus Christ. That's very real. And that you would begin to maybe have some boldness in those situations. Maybe there's some places, some areas in your life where you're I should be talking to so-and-so, or man, I, I'm afraid I'm going to chicken out here, that you would be filled with boldness and go, my God is greater. My God is so great. My God is incredible. I'm going to continue to take steps of boldness and faith and put my trust in Him because I know the system of this world. It's just repetitive. It doesn't work, but God's ways do. And if there's something and you are being conformed to the ways of the world, that you would begin to say, you know what? It's time for me to turn to Christ instead of being squished into the mold of the world. And again, though the battle rages, we will stand in the fight. Though the armies rise up against us on all sides, we will not be shaken. For in the hour of our darkest day, we will not tremble. We won't be afraid. Hope is rising like the light of dawn. Our God is for us. He has overcome we will trust in our God, and through His unfailing love, we will not be shaken. We will not be shaken. All those against Him will fall, for our God is stronger. He can do all things. No higher name we can call, for Jesus is greater. We can do all things. We will not be shaken. It's a good song for us to close on. I'm going to pray. Father, we come before You, and we thank You for Your Son, Jesus Christ. Please help us to be bold witnesses for Him. I pray that you would bless each person that's here today. And Father, I pray that you would take these words and that you would bring them to mind throughout the week uh, in just those perfect moments where, where they need 
uh, each person here needs your truth. I need it, that you would give it to us in those moments when things are confusing or we are feeling pressure from the world, that we would be given boldness and confidence through these truths of your word and through the example of the apostles. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Have a good Father's Day.